with me. It's a custom here. We stand for the reading of God's word, amen? We get excited about it. All right, if you're in Isaiah, I'm gonna read out of the Amplified Version and it's on the screen. And it says, arise from spiritual depression to a new life. Shine, be radiant with the glory and brilliance of the Lord, for your light has come. And the glory and brilliance of the Lord has risen upon you. You all, I believe God is calling us as a church, every single one of us in here, he's saying, arise. Your time has come. For in fact, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness will cover the peoples. Doesn't that sound a lot like the time that we're living in right now? But this is the promise that I love. It says, but the Lord will rise upon you. He's going to rise and shine a light on his church and his glory and brilliance will be seen on you. For nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Get ready, church, because it's time for us to arise and to move forward as the church that God has called us to be, amen? And that's gonna be the title of my message this morning. It's called Arise, it's time to move forward. All right, now I want you to go to Judges chapter four. We're almost finished. We're gonna look at this entire chapter in Judges And this is Deborah, she's speaking to Barak. And again, here's that word. She says, arise, for this is the day when the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. And she gives him this promise and challenges him with this question. And she says, has the Lord not gone out before you? So Barak, he arose, went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you right now for this amazing service we've had so far. We thank you that your presence is here in this place, Father. And I just ask boldly that you would move me out of the way, God. Strip things off of me, God. Worry and fear, Lord, so this word can go forth, God, to every single heart that's here in the house and that's watching online, God. And that you would charge us as a church to boldly arise and move forward. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. All right, you guys can be seated. So we're gonna kinda get back in, just we're gonna start out, and I'm a teacher, you all, so if you have notebook, if you have pen, I challenge you, take notes this morning, because that's how I learn. And also, because of time, I don't even know if I'll get through my entire message, I'm gonna try to, but I encourage you this week, read Judges chapter four, read Judges chapter five. It's an incredible story, and when we ask the Holy Spirit, he will reveal knowledge to you that you cannot imagine, amen? Okay, so chapter four, it starts out, and it says, but the Israelites again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And I think I have a screen up here that we're gonna show you because this is the same thing that they were dealing with in chapter three last week, and Pastor Darren talked about it. And we're gonna reference this as the sin cycle. The sin cycle is what happens because, and this can, we can relate this to us here in the natural too, because when we look at our lives, when we're living in prosperity, when we're living in a place where things are going good, which is what the time that the children of Israel were in, because remember Ehud, Shamgar, they had defeated the enemy. So now they're in this time of plenty of prosperity. What starts to happen? 
We start to slack off on the things of God, right? Sometimes we start to say, well, things are pretty good. I'm gonna make plans. I don't go connect and assemble with the people of God anymore. Maybe we stop reading our Bible as much as we did when we were in a place where we were looking for a word to challenge us or we were needing an answer from God. We stop praying, we stop interceding. And then slowly we start to take on those habits and sins that keep us stuck in a cycle. And I want you to think personally, what are some of those? I wrote down a few that I personally have struggled with. What about gossip, jealousy, addiction, offense, anger? All of these patterns and behaviors, even if they're small, can open up a door for the enemy to keep you in rebellion and keep you what? Oppressed. Because anytime we open up a door to the enemy, what happens? There's a consequence. So we can go from a place of prosperity, we're doing really well, things look good, and then slowly what happens? Sin, rebellion, and now we're into oppression. And this is what the children of Israel were dealing with at this time. They've now been oppressed for 20 years by Jabin, the king of Canaan. Now, I really want you guys to understand these key leaders in the story. So I'm gonna ask you to say it. Say Jabin. All right, he's our first one. He is the king of Canaan, and he's been keeping the children of Israel now oppressed for 20 years. So the second group that I want you to get is we have to know that the children of Israel, that would be you and I, they play a part in the story too. So you've got Jabin, the king of Canaan, and he kind of has a sidekick that we're gonna learn about, and his name is Sisera. So say that with me, Sisera. That sounds good. Say it one more time. Okay, Sisera, he is the commander of Canaan, okay? He's the commander of the army of Canaan. So Jabin and Sisera, if you were to look at who the evil forces are and the enemy, that's who's coming against the children of Israel. That's who's oppressing them. So as the children of Israel, they're in this cycle, what do you do if you get in trouble? What do you do if you get a bad doctor's report? What do you do if you get the papers and you're going down a path where you don't wanna be? Divorce, or you're in trouble with the law. What do you do? You start raising your hands, you start praying, crying out to God, show me, Lord, help me, get me out of this situation. And that's exactly what the children of Israel do. And how many are thankful this morning that we serve a God that it doesn't matter where we are, it doesn't matter what we've done, as soon as we repent and ask him, he is right there with a strategy to get us out, amen? And you guys, this strategy that we're gonna learn about today, we're gonna learn about it in, the cha in chapter four, it's so powerful, it's such an amazing story. And I say story lightly because I don't want you to think it didn't happen. It's truth, it's text, it's a narrative. These were real people that were living in a time of oppression. And they needed leaders to rise up, to work together, to build God's kingdom and deliver them, okay? So we learned about our first people. So again, let's go through it. Jabin, Sisera, you had the children of Israel. Now we're gonna get into kind of the heroes of the story. So the first hero that we're gonna talk about, how many of you guys have ever heard about Deborah? By a show of hands, Deborah. You guys, she is one of my favorite, favorite people in the Bible. If um, I, I was thinking, because we live in such a social media word, world, if we were gonna post a picture of Deborah on Instagram or Facebook, all my young people know this, like there wouldn't be enough room for the hashtags that you would say by her name because she was this mighty boss lady. She was a judge at the time. And so when we look at the time in history, they didn't have kings, but they had judges that made decisions. And Deborah was the only female judge in the Old Testament. So that tells me that she was really wise, she knew the Torah, and when I heard judge, 
I'm just gonna be real with you guys because I like to make things practical. My first thing when I heard female judge is I wrote down in my journal, Judge Judy. Right, because that's what I think of. She's in her courtroom, she's deciding right from wrong, and Deborah was somewhat like that. She literally, all day, instead of having a courtroom, she had a huge palm tree that she would sit under, and that was her courtroom. And people would bring their disputes, and she would decide with wisdom and discernment who is right. And another thing that I learned about Deborah is her name, it means honeybee. And I kind of laughed about that, but I wanted to share it because I think you'll remember her and the honeybee as her name. And so when we think about the qualities of a honeybee, you can learn a lot about her. Because you see, what do honeybees do? They work really hard, right? So Deborah would have been a woman that knew how to time manage. She knew her schedule because here she is, she's a judge, but she also was appointed as a prophetess. And you guys, that's when I just, I love her for that because God appointed the prophets and the prophetess in this case. And they were the men and women that carried the word of the Lord, which was such an honor back in the day. So God could trust her with the word of the Lord. I also learned that she was um, the wife to, let me make sure I pronounce his name right. She was the wife to Lapidoth. So she, here she is, she's a wife. And later in chapter five, when you guys read it this week, you're gonna see that she was referred to as the mother of Israel. So here's this mighty woman, judge, prophetess. She's a wife, she's a mother. And she plays a huge role, just as a honeybee would, right? Because what do honeybees do? They unite, they work together to build and connect and protect their colonies. So let's think about that for a minute. Deborah comes onto the scene in a time of oppression. She's going to be a fearless leader that rises up, unites the body of Christ to all step into their place so they can defend and protect God's kingdom. I thought, how cool is that, right? It really tells the story. The last thing that I love about honeybees, and we all should because we put it on our toast in the mornings, is honeybees make honey, right? And it's really sweet, it tastes good. And so what I feel like, and I believe, Deborah had a very sweet spirit. She had a very sweet anointing. And we will see that when you study out the scripture because when she goes to Barak, and he's now gonna be our next person, say that out loud, Barak. Barak, he is the commander of the Israel army, the children of Israel, he's the commander of their army. When she goes to him to talk to him, she doesn't nag him, she doesn't put him down, but she uses words that raise him up to a higher position. And I believe she knew that old saying, what is it, um, and you guys might have to help me, you catch more bees with honey, right? You catch more bees with honey. We're gonna all work together as the kingdom of God when we can learn to be sweet, kind, caring. We don't put each other down, we don't gossip about each other, but we work to build each other so we can step into the roles and callings that God has called us all to step into, amen? We have to have a kind and nice anointing. Okay, enough about Deborah. And hold on, while I'm doing this, you guys take a praise break because I talk a lot and I need a water break really quick. Okay, now we're gonna mention this other uh, person and I mentioned him already, but his name was Lapidoth. Lapidoth, and he, in the text it says that Deborah was the wife to Lapidoth. He doesn't get much um, reading time. That's actually all that we hear about him. But I felt it was so important this morning to talk about him for this reason, because he played a huge role, because he was married to Deborah, and his name meant burning torch. 
I believe he was a mighty man, a strong leader, and I believe he was a burning torch for Deborah, though, and here's why, and I want to encourage all of the men in the house, because at that time, women, they didn't really have a voice. They weren't seen to be prophetess, they weren't seen to be a judge, they really only were seen to have kids and take care of the home front, okay? So if you're following me, this would have been a time where Deborah went up against probably intense opposition, unkind words, mean things being said about her and probably Lapidoth because he allowed his wife to step into these gifts. So I believe he was a burning torch at this time that said and realized and recognized that Deborah was this mighty woman of God and he was the light that would light her path to take her with him because he was the leader of the house. So to all my men out there, I wrote this down in my notes because if you are married to a wife, if you have a sister, if you have a daughter, a niece, and you see an anointing on her life, a calling to preach, to teach the word of God, to be used in business, to have creative ideas, make sure be a burning torch for them. Help light up their path. Help get them to the open doors. Because even though we've come a long way, I'm here today to tell you it's still hard. The enemy still wants to work to shut our voices down, to tell us we're not worthy, we're not called to step in there, and we need burning torches, amen? So that's Lapidoth. Okay, I gotta hurry. We've got, we already talked about Barak. His name means lightning. So he is the commander of the Israel army. And then we have Jael. And Jael, she is a wife on the home front. So while everyone else is in the battle, Jael has stayed behind and she's married to Heber the Kenite. Heber the Kenite. Okay, so we're gonna get into the story and we're kinda gonna flow with the story. And if you're taking notes, I hope to get to five characteristics or qualities that these exceptional leaders, so I'm talking about Deborah, Lapidoth, Barak, and Jael, demonstrated during this time of oppression to unite God's kingdom and step out and move forward with what they were called to do. Because how many of you all want today to be the day where you say, I'm ready to move forward, right? God's called you to do things. He's spoken to you. He's given you direction. And now you've come here as a sign to say, okay, it's time to arise and move forward. Amen? Okay, so the first quality is if we are ever going to step out, and be the church that we're called to be. And I'm not talking about a building or a denomination. No, I'm talking about the church where we all come together. We don't care about that stuff and we say we're all in, right? We all work together. If we are gonna do that, we have to be wise and discerning, okay? Repeat that after me, wise and discerning. So when we look at the story, you have Deborah. So here's how it plays out, okay? I'm gonna paraphrase. Deborah, operating in her office of the prophet, she hears the word of the Lord. She goes to Barak and she says, Barak, it's time to arise. God has already given you the battle. He's gonna give you Sisera into your hands, so go get the troops ready. You go with me, Deborah. So I don't know about all you ladies, but how would you guys feel about going to the front lines of battle, right? Because that's what he was asking her to do. And so she comes back and she says, okay, I'm gonna go with you to the front lines. I will go, but on one condition. So she speaks this condition and she says, you must know, Barak, that the glory, the victory, it's not going to be yours, but God is going to give it to the hands of a woman. And that's when all of my women should be yelling, yay, <laughs> right? This is our time. He's gonna give it to the hands of a woman. But let's talk about this text and what's happening here. 
So Barak, he has wisdom, right? We already know Deborah's wise. She is a judge, a prophetess. But Barak could have relied on his own strength. He could have relied on the fact that he was a military officer and he was called to go and rally up 10,000 troops, all the chariots. And he could have easily said, you know what? I have the strategy. I know how to move forward. But he didn't. Some people preach and teach and say he didn't have faith and oh, he needed to be bolder and he was uncertain, but I don't believe that's what it was. I believe he demonstrated wisdom saying, I'm not going where the word of the Lord doesn't go before me, amen? I believe he said, I need wisdom and I don't have it and Deborah, I don't care if she's a female, male, whoever it is, she carries the word of the Lord, she carries the strategy. So if we are going to come against the spiritual attacks that we're under, because last time I checked, you guys know this scripture by heart. Ephesians 6, 12 says, for the battles that we fight, they're not flesh and blood, but they are powerful, right, mighty. We have tools and weapons to tear down the strongholds and the enemy forces that we fight against. So if we're going to fight the battle, one, we have to recognize that the enemy, it's not our husband, it's not our wives, it's not the world that's going around, it's not our bosses. The enemy is a real enemy, and we have to have wisdom, meaning God's strategy to fight and defeat him every time. So Barak, she ha he had this wisdom. He said, you've got to go with me. And as we're talking about Deborah, we of course know she's wise. She's carrying the prophetic word. And when she comes to Barak, and I loved this part because you guys, I have to tell you, I was wrong in my thinking at first. Because when she tells Barak and she says, I'll come with you, but you don't get the glory, you don't get the credit, it goes to a woman. I always thought that she was talking about herself. I don't know why, I always thought, well you go girl, I mean you are the one that carried the word of the Lord so you get the glory, but that's not it and we're gonna learn that later. She actually was giving wisdom because she was operating in her office as the prophet, she was carrying the prophetic strategy, she was warning Barak saying, hey, you, this is what's gonna happen but you need to know that God is actually gonna do a completely different thing and that was wisdom. So real quick, I'm just gonna throw these out there, I know I've gotta hurry. When we ask for wisdom and spiritual discernment, spiritual discernment is hearing God's voice to make wise decisions. How many of you guys wanna hear God's voice to make wise decisions? As we leave this week, I challenge all of you, we have to get into our word. God will always speak through his word, amen? We have to begin to worship and set aside time to be in his presence because he will always speak to you when you're closest to him. He'll speak to your heart, he'll speak to your mind. And this thing about spiritual discernment, I love this, it's actually a gift that you can ask for in the New Testament, and I believe we serve a, a good, good father. In fact, James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask, and it will be given to you liberally. So when you pray for spiritual discernment, I say absolutely go for it, but I want you to know, be serious when you do, because God usually doesn't wake, like, wake up one morning and spiritual discernment is raised down on you. That's not how it works. When we are brave enough to say, God, give me spiritual discernment, he takes us through trials and tests that teaches us to test the spirits. No different than the Apostle Paul, who I love and I think about when I hear spiritual discernment. Because in Acts chapter 16, when he was going along, doing his ministry, right, us walking out the calling of God, there came a young slave girl. And we remember she looked the part, didn't she? And she was saying all the right things. Oh, continue to minister, Paul. You're doing such a good job. Hear the word of the Lord. But Paul, he was like, huh, that doesn't feel right. 
Something about that isn't right. How many of you guys have ever had that little, huh, check in your spirit? I encourage you, go further and say, Lord, show me what's going on. Because the next thing we see in the story, Paul says, get out of her and rebukes the spirit of divination. There is real spiritual battles, you guys, and we have to be discerning and wise to know how to pray and fight and intercede. Amen? Okay, I'm, I'm taking too much time. Dee. You've got... <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right, so... <laughs> thank you guys for the encouragement too. I need it, all the cheers. Um, thank you, Lord. Okay, here we go. We're gonna move on to number two. They were courageous under a time of oppression, right? And that, if there's one thing I want us to take home, is it's time for God is saying, I need my church to arise, move forward, and be courageous. We can no longer sit down and wait for anyone else to do what he's called us to do, right? He has given us gifts and talents, and we have to move forward. So I love that Barack and Deborah, they're like, okay, I'm gonna be courageous, I'm gonna go forward. They go to the front lines, and I love what happens. They take the chariots, they take the armies, and God follows through on his promise, because what does he always do? He always follows through. He's already won the battle. We just have to be obedient and have the courage to move forward. So as he takes out the enemy, it says that no one was left except for one, Sisera. Sisera manages to escape and he goes on foot. And the first place he goes, because we're going to talk about this in a minute, is he goes back to the home front into the tent of Jael, okay? And we're gonna come back to that point in just a minute. But really quick, what does it look like for us as a church to be courageous in a time of oppression? You know, some people might say, well, oh goodness, I need to take a stand on social media, I need to, no. That's not the courage I'm talking about. I'm talking about fighting a spiritual battle, having the courage to say, God, wreck my schedule. I know it's gonna be hard. Let me wake up and fervently pray 30 minutes before I leave every day, right? Having the courage to go to your workplace and pray for your boss, intercede around your parking lot. Having the courage in these uncertain times to say, Lord, I don't know where my next paycheck's gonna come, but just as Pastor Darren said, test me, I'll continue to give and be faithful because I know who my provider is. That's the kind of courage that we need as a church to rise up. We need the courage to say, God, you've called me today, and I'm not going to wait until tomorrow to step out and move forward and use what I have in my hands, amen? All right, the third one that we're gonna talk about, if we are ever going to unite as the kingdom that God has called and build the kingdom that God has called us to build and unite as the church. We have to be kingdom-minded, amen? So kingdom-mindedness means being heavenly-minded or being eternity-focused. It is making God the center of our lives, okay? And I wrote down in my notes, because I truly feel this in my heart, that we're really in a new kingdom age. We are going to experience and see kingdom being done different than ever before. I believe men and women are gonna mutually submit and walk out and step into their destinies and work together. I also believe, just as Deborah prophesied and told Barak, because Barak was a mighty commander, he could have easily said, uh-uh, I have the chariots, I have the men and we're doing the fighting and I want the glory. But he was kingdom minded. He put away who was gonna get the glory because I believe Deborah, Barack, and Jael, they knew that 
Ultimately, God gets the glory when we work for the kingdom. So here, Barack and Deborah, they lay their pride aside. They lay everything aside to say, you know what? We're gonna use our gifts, prophetess, commander, and we're gonna work with Jael, who's on the home front. We're all gonna come together, and she's ultimately gonna get the glory for the battle, okay? So kingdom-minded always is saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not what I want, right? Not my plans. It's always mutually submitting to the authority that God has placed in our life. We're under covering, and then men and women, we come together and mutually submit and use our gifts, amen? All right, this is the one I love. I love this one um, because it talks about Jael. So as we continue in the story, we have Jael, and so just to recap, all the men have been destroyed from Jabin's army, except Sisera. Sisera has fled on foot, and now he's went back to the tents, to the home front. So we have to realize that back in those days, they didn't really have subdivisions and houses like we did, but they still lived in community, and they would have had tents, okay? And all of the women would have stayed at home while the men were fighting on the battlefield, and they would have protected the home. So what you have to know about Sisera, he escapes and he runs to Jael because she is the wife of Heber. And Heber and Sisera are friends. There's peace between them. So he assumes that he's going to be safe there. So he goes into Jael's tent. She allows him to come in. She lets him rest, gives him something to drink. But then I love this because while he is sleeping, and this is why I call it a home front anointing, she realizes she has that wisdom. She has that spiritual discernment. She has that courageous spirit because she says, something's off with this man. God has told me that he is of enemy forces. She takes a tent peg and literally takes it into his temple and story's over. He is dead down into the ground. And now Barak is looking for him and Barak comes back and says, where is Sisera? And she's like, here he is. I have them just as the word of God prophesied. How cool is that? God gave the strategy, lined up all of the pieces for it to happen. So when I talk about Jael, I really thought about this week because I believe the enemy has the same tactics as he did back in the period of the judges. Because listen to where I'm gonna share this. While everyone was fighting, right, all the attention was on the war, the political unrest, the things that were going on, the enemy Sisera escaped and he went right back to the home. And that's what the enemy wants to do with us. While we are worried and concerned about everything going on and we need spiritual discernment and wisdom to pray, the real enemy, he's after our homes. He has come after to steal, kill, and destroy this next generation. He wants division in our marriage. He wants to take our children out. So we have to have a home front anointing that will rise up in this day and say, not today, Satan. You're not gonna take my kids. You're not going to take my marriage. And we have to rise with courage to pray, to fast with our family. We need to be teaching our family how to worship, how to intercede for themselves. It doesn't matter that they're teenagers. They know how, need to know how to get on their knees and pray themselves out of situations because we serve a real God who is there in our time of trouble. Amen? JL had this powerful home front anointing that she would take the tent peg and take him out. And I love that about her, amen? So we have to have that kind of anointing. And then this last one. So um, it's been about maybe a little over 10 years since I rededicated my heart to the Lord and just really got on fire for him. And it's just been an amazing life change. But also at that time, I started, I started having spiritual dreams and God would talk to me and reveal things to me. 
And um, over the years, I've always taken them serious. Anybody else a dreamer in here and brave enough to say it? Okay, um, a few, a few, okay. Well, right before the coronavirus started, I had a spiritual dream and I woke up in the middle of the night, I wrote it down and I began to pray and seek wisdom and discernment and say, what are you saying? And um, I, I knew what the Lord was saying because you see, I'm gonna be vulnerable and share that. I've, I've really struggled with depression, I have. It's been four years and it's been a couple hard places. I've struggled with oppression and the Lord alerted me right before the coronavirus came. He said, you're gonna go through a time of division and oppression and depression's gonna come because I was weeping in the dream and I knew what that meant. And I didn't wanna go back. But he gave me a strategy in the dream. And in this dream, I have to tell you guys that the only way I was gonna get out of this spiritual depression, this division, is he showed me that I was gonna take my shoes off and I begin to dance. I begin to dance to a David Crowder song called Undignified. And I knew when I woke up, I knew that I better put my praise shoes on and start dancing because it was gonna be my praise and worship that would get me out of the darkest season of my life. And you guys, I'm so thankful for that warning because I begin to do that. And it wasn't just two weeks later that um, we said goodbye to my dad's dad. It was my grandpa. It was such a hard time. He was um, so close to us. We lived next to him and he was funny and I could go on and on about him. But one of the things we're all very proud of is he was um, a meddled um, Marine and he fought in the Korean War. And I also have an uncle and he was a Marine. And so of all the things I remember about the armed forces and I could, you know, they could be biased because they are Marines. They used to joke and say, if you're going through a battle and you need the job done right and fast, you send in the Marines, okay? And I always remembered that. Like, if you need it done right, you send in the Marines. And as again, I was thinking about this message, it was almost as if the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, when you are in spiritual battles, which we all will be, you send in the worshipers, amen? Let the worshipers arise, because in every battle, almost in the Old Testament, worshipers went before the actual army because it was their worship. The enemy cannot stay where you are praising and worshiping. And last week, you guys, as we were up here and we were singing that first song, and I saw Amanda, I saw Morgan, my mom, the Poyers, Darren and David, and just all of the praise team, they were dancing. And I thought, you know, some people would think they were crazy because they were moving with energy. And just as that song said, I was like, they realize that they are fighting dark forces because they were singing, my praise is a weapon, my dance is a weapon, my shout is a weapon. And so when we look at the story of Barack and Deborah, and you guys have time to go read chapter five, it starts off and says, Deborah's song. And then Barack and Deborah sang the song. So I don't know the last time you wrote a prophetic worship song, but that's a pretty guarantee that you are a worshiper if you're writing worship songs. And I don't think they stood there and sang it like this. I believe they sang it with joy. I believe they sang it with dancing, with shouting. They let out a praise because they knew that the worship would defeat the enemy every single time, amen? So as we kind of finish up with the story. After this happens in JL, she defeats Sisera. Sisera comes and now says that the children of Israel, right, they have peace again. Victory has been won. And I, I really believe that even though I'm, I'm not that old, but it, this is truly, I can say that this is the darkest time 
in the world that I've ever experienced. Yes, I have joy at home, but to look at the news, to watch what's going on, you guys, we are living in unprecedented times. We, there is oppression, suicide is at an all-time high. People are confused, they are anxious, they are divided, they are angry. And there's never been a more critical time that we arise and move forward as the church we're called to be, amen? We have to make the decision to say yes, I will arise and move forward and I will be a worshiper, right? I will worship with my dance, with my praise, with my shout. We have to arise and move forward and say, I'm not going to worry about what other people are doing, but I'm gonna use what I have. I'm gonna get connected to a local church. I'm going to start serving and giving and using what I can to be the body of Christ and to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done and be kingdom minded, amen? We have to arise and move forward and courageously, courageously begin to pray for, we have to pray for discernment, we have to pray for wisdom, but when it comes to courage, I believe we have to make decisions today that will change us tomorrow, meaning we have to decide today that yes, we are ready to be the church that he's called to be, amen? So I'm gonna just close with a, with a quote that I wrote down because it stuck with me. And it's a quote from a, a really, really old movie. But um, it was this man, and it was We Bought a Zoo, and it was Benjamin Me. It's a true story. But he talks about courage, and I want it to stay with you because I believe some of you guys, today's gonna be a day where you courageously say yes to stepping out to God. And he says, you know, sometimes all you need is courage. Just 20 seconds of insane courage. And I promise you, something great will come of it. And the courage I'm asking you today to have is the courage to say, yes, I want Jesus. Maybe it's your first time and you are new here or you're watching online and you've never given your heart to the Lord. But God is asking you, he's talking to your heart. You can feel it and he's saying, make the decision today. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you in just a second to be courageous and make that decision to say yes to him. Get your name signed up in the Lamb's Book of Life to live forever. Or maybe it's like me a few years ago, and I said, Lord, I had been saved, but I wanna make that decision to rededicate my life, to know what you've called me to do and to do it boldly. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand too. And the other thing that we're gonna ask today is if you are courageous enough to say, yes, I'm ready to build God's kingdom. I know I have gifts and talents. I may not know where I'm supposed to use them, but I will serve in whatever capacity. I believe God is calling us to rise up today. So if that's you, and you know you need to make a decision and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, on the count of three, nobody's looking. Close your eyes, everyone in here. I want you to raise your hand. One, oh, I already see a hand. One, two, three, two three, four, five, keep them coming, six, seven. All right, you guys can, eight, nine, put those hands back down. Perhaps it's you and this is a time of rededication or you're saying, you know what? I've kind of sat down for a little bit, but I'm making a stand today to courageously arise and move forward with God's calling me to do. If that's you, I want you to boldly raise your hand because if you can't be courageous in here, you'll never be courageous out there. Who is it? One, two, three. All right, hands are going up, hands are going up. As we get ready, Darren's gonna come up and we're gonna sing this last worship song. If that was you and you were one of those people that raised your hand, we're all gonna stand to our feet and we're gonna say a prayer together. 
Hallelujah. And Darren, will you lead him in the prayer? Thank you, Jesus. Now's the time. No greater time than right now. We're taking enemy territory back. Let's pray this prayer together right now. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose again. Thank you for choosing me. I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name. I'm saved. I'm delivered. And I'm on my way to heaven. Amen. And amen. If that ain't a reason to shout, there ain't no other reason. Come on, give God a good shout of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining me today. I trust and believe that God's word has strengthened your faith. Why don't you visit me at darrenfarmer.com and let's do life together on all social media platforms. And as always, your prayers and your financial giving is always welcome. God bless you.